Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast with your host, Mike Glover. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Truly excited, truly humbled and honored to be here and to have the opportunity to kick this podcast off. It's uh, been a long time coming. We started out with the Global Recon podcast, and I was the co-host on that, and migrated over to the Philcraft podcast with Kevin Treader. And timing, life, all these different things just kept me away from the podcast, kept me away from the audio, and finally, finally get the opportunity to do this and make time for it. So I'm truly excited about it. First of all, I want to thank everybody who's been following us, whether it's through Instagram, which is primarily the main social media source that we're that we're on, at Soft Survivor and at Fieldcraft Survival. I, I truly appreciate all you guys' support. Thanks to all my customers and clients and, and people that I work with, CEOs of companies and partners and affiliates. I, I appreciate all you guys' support. Without without you guys, truly. I wouldn't have the opportunity to do this and to do this for a living, and I, I truly appreciate it. So I got got a lot of positive feedback from Phil Kraus' time and energy invested in podcast, and it's a it's truly a good medium to disseminate a lot of inf- good information and to get you guys as part of like an ongoing sustainable culture to where you could be part of something and and educate. Me and I get to educate you, and it's just a good community and, and network that we get to be a part of. So, uh, again, I am honored and privileged to, to kick this thing off. So on this first episode, one of the the ways I wanted to lay out this podcast is, one, define exactly what we're here for. There's lots of podcasts and different categories on iTunes, on SoundCloud, all these different platforms, and they all have their own genres. You know, they have comedy, the science and government organizations, all kinds of different stuff. So what is what is the Phil Craft Survival Podcast about? So truly the Phil Craft Survival Podcast is about all things inclusive in the survival genre. And survival was a huge industry and it's and it's an industry that I purposely wanted to go into because it encompassed all the things that I was interested in, from defensive tactics to firearms to gear outdoor survival, off-road. It's got so many lanes. So the purpose of this podcast is to give you guys information in kind of like all the spaces and all the realms that I've kind of been at in my military career and in my civilian career and and kind of what I've learned along the way. Learning is an ongoing process, and I, I never stop learning. I learn stuff every day from young men and women who direct message me. I learn stuff. So Never be afraid of stop learning. And so this is me teaching you from my experiences as well as learning from you guys and talking about different topics that are in that genre. Another thing is our podcast is in the government organizations on iTunes, and we're competing against people who talk politics, people who talk shit, for lack of a better term. And that's not something that I want to get into, man. I, I just That's not my style. You know, my style is... I like to be positive and, and realistic about things, and I'm utilitarian and, and, and want to talk about the utility and 
the function of things and not really get bogged down with this talking shit stuff. It's just it's just not my my forte. So you're not going to get that here. If you want to get involved with that, this is not the podcast for you. And this podcast, you know, I'll, I'll t- select topics based off of what you guys want to hear. I've got good feedback on a social media post on Instagram that I posted about what people wanted to hear. And some of these topics from everyday carry to defense to survival and military tactics and civilian tactics and, hey, what should I carry in my go bag are all kind of things that we're going to cover each episode. I intend to keep these episodes about 30 to 40 minutes on the average of a a daily commute here in America. And I want to make sure that I'm giving you guys good information and getting good feedback from you guys. So I encourage all my listeners and all you guys to go out there. And if you're listening to me on iTunes or uh, SoundCloud or whatever the platform, leave feedback. I'm adaptable and shapeable based off of you guys' feedback. If you say I talk too much, I'm talking too fast, I have information, it's good, but I need to, to focus on stuff. I'm saying um too much. Just give me that feedback and I'll make sure that I keep that in mind. So on this first podcast, I'm also going to talk about kind of like my background because I know a lot of people are like, who the hell is this Mike dude from Philcraft Survival from Soft Survivor and what is he all about? So just some, some background on me. Uh, I joined the army when I was 17 years old. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty old dude. Uh, I got those Asian genes. So when I shave, I look like a young buck, but I'm a pretty old and senior dude. I started out and joined the military in Daytona Beach, Florida at the age of 17 and joined the infantry. Went straight into the infantry, which is as an MOS or as a job title specialty is called 11 Bravo. So I joined as an 11 Bravo. I served in the infantry for about four years and pretty much tried to do everything that I could do. You know, I was a guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I went to Airborne Ranger School. You know, I got my expert infantry badge. I tried to really do all I could do. I actually got promoted at the age of 20 to a sergeant. You can't do that anymore because of time in service and time in grade or time in rank requirements. But I promoted pretty fast and I was a, a young leader. And I decided prior to 9-11, actually, it was September 9th of 2001, that I was going to get out, and I was done, man. There wasn't there wasn't anything going on, and I had joined the military to fight, and since there wasn't anything going on, I got out. And, of course, a couple of days later, everybody's world got turned upside down. And just like a lot of you veterans out there, the reason I went back in is because of 9-11 and because of the attack that happened to our country. So, you know, long story short, I went back in the military, went to Special Forces Selection, went to the Q course, the qualification course, became an 18 series, like a Special Forces weapon sergeant, and then had a pretty successful career in Special Forces all the way up until about 2013, in which I transitioned into the National Guard. I, when I transitioned to the National Guard, I actually transitioned into the National Guard Special Forces Unit. I call it Reserve Guard because to me it's the same stuff. But transitioning into the Reserve Guard component, I went from being an active duty team sergeant to being a Special Forces National Guard team sergeant in the great state of Texas. So after I did that for a little while, I did get promoted to Sergeant Major, and then I moved up to uh, another unit in Austin, Texas. And from there, I decided, based on 
uh, my career decisions based on my personal life that it was time to move on. So I, I resigned and transitioned from active to reserve guard and then into inactive ready reserve, basically a holding status until I officially get out, which is going to be sometime next year. So people ask me all the time, like, hey, what are you doing in uniform? Like, I went to a guy's 11 Bravo infantry graduation a couple days ago, actually. And uh, I was in uniform because I, I actually am still in the ready reserve. So, you know, that's just a little bit about me. You know, I have a pretty lengthy military career. I did a total of 18 years, and then I transitioned into government contracting. And that's what I've been doing for the last few years. Not, not a lot of people know that about me, that I actually do or did government contracting for a few years. That took me all over the place. I think I always say this, but last year I was in, you know, I was in Yemen, Pakistan, Niger, Africa, and Pakistan, Niger, Africa, Iraq, and Yemen. This is the official year that I'm actually, for the first time, taking off and, you know, starting a business and focusing wholeheartedly on Philcraft, the business that I own in Northern California. So, Philcraft, what is Philcraft? Philcraft is a business and survival, man. I mean, honestly and wholeheartedly, it's it's the genre and the and the field that I that I most love and appreciate. You know, it's it's all the things that I enjoy that I've had experience with in surviving in the military. I feel like I did survive and I'm lucky to be a survivor. And also all the things that I did specifically led me down the path to do survival because it, it's kind of like a niche industry that involves a lot of cool shit that I had a hand in in the military, and it was a no-brainer for me to migrate into it, into the civilian world. This year has been a successful year for Philcraft. I mean, from consulting with professional companies like Kixi, video game company, a significant video game company, ran by a, a talented CEO named Will Harbin in San Francisco to uh, working with some veteran facilitators and employees of Oracle in San Francisco. I've consulted for both companies, and it was a pleasure doing so. This year, we also ran a, a slew of courses that led to some great successes. We did an active shooter. We've done probably about a dozen police departments and government agencies, training from everything from CQB, to you know, flat range pistol carbine, all the way up to you know, counterterrorism techniques and procedures. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a good year. I, I can't complain. We have our uh, website at philcraftsurvival.com. We have our e-commerce based store. A whole bunch of stuff going on with Philcraft, and it's led me to get on a podcast and focus my attention on educating and disseminating information and having a better reach, better communication with our customers, our clients, uh, you guys. So, damn, I feel like that was a, a long time talking about myself. So let's talk about the topic for today, man. You know, the first thing that you guys threw out was everyday carry, EDC, what do you do when something goes bad? This Saturday, actually, which is going to be probably tomorrow by the time you guys hear this, I run an active shooter or active threat a course that teaches people to observe, fight, and flee, or flee and fight, depending on your level of training, and and deal with these kind of situations that we're dealing with in the United States. It seems like it's more frequent, and you know, statistics will tell you that it is more frequent. That active shooter scenarios, active threat scenarios, 
are more frequent than they used to be. So we, there is a steady rise in this kind of these kind of threats that we face, whether it's you know disgruntled employee to the terrorist in San, San Bernardino. We potentially are in an environment in our daily lives to run into these type of situations. So we do run a course and we teach this. In this course, we, we run around with sims. I teach one-man CQB. I go over all the tactics and techniques and procedures that will give you some tips on, on how best to survive. But it's pretty comprehensive. In this brief portion of this podcast, we'll talk about everyday carry and focus on that because I get asked all the time, hey, Mike, what are you carrying? What do you got on you? What are you carrying depending on the setting? Do you have a winter carry? Do you have a summer carry? So we're going we're gonna to focus on that and talk about those things. So everyday carry, right? It's become a popular social media. Most of the time, it's just like a dude taking a picture of his hand, holding a cool-ass knife, a uh, set of keys, and then a flashlight or something, you know? And then he, he has his concealed carry gun maybe in his hand or off the side. But it's relevant. I actually like seeing stuff like that because it's good to see people being prepared. When I was in Special Forces and we had staging or a basis of operation, we always put cubby holes, you know, and I recently posted a picture of my old cubby hole in 2006, 2007 timeframe where basically all my kit, all my guns and everything just laid out. Well, I do that same thing today, you know, at the house, you know, I have a little section where I lay my phone, I lay my gun, I lay my knife, I lay everything that's important. And that's truly important. That's the first step and being in the right mindset for everyday carry is staging your stuff, staging all the things that you need. So when you get off, you set it up and you go to bed, you get your gun by your nightstand or you get your a flashlight by your nightstand. But then when you get up, you have your little ready room or ready rack with all your stuff on it. So when you get to your, your ready rack, you get everything on on your person, and it's, it's a time to do what we call pre-combat inspections, PCIs. It's where you press check your gun. You look to see if there's a round in the chamber. You drop the mag, and you look at your magazine and go, okay, I got you know seven rounds. The eighth is in the chamber, so maybe I'll load an extra round. Hey, I got my knife. It's set up right. My holster is good. I got my wallet, got my keys, got my flashlight, got my knife. It's basically getting you in the mindset to be prepared every morning when you step out the door. If you just get up, get up and you grab your keys and you go out the door and you're not really thinking about that kind of stuff, then you run into the potential problem of needing something when you most need it and it's not there. So the second thing I like to look at is outside of staging is the equipment itself, right? That's, that's really important to, to have the right equipment for the job. I could digress and talk about a whole bunch of different things on equipment. Let's focus on the gun because, you know, there's knife guys out there. You guys can talk to a whole bunch of knife experts. I'm not a knife expert. I got knives. I I use them as utility, levers, cutting, splicing, puncturing, but I'm not a big knife fight guy. If I get tangled up with a guy, I'm trying to break contact. I'm trying to create distance. And if he's an imminent threat, I'm shooting him in the face. You know, I hate to be say it like that, um, but that's the reality of it. So if I go to my gun, I'm not going to my gun to to push a gun on a dude and threaten him. I'm going to the gun because it means the difference between life and death. I'm pulling that gun to save my life, to defend my family's life, 
So it's a serious thing. It's something you need to take serious. What gun do I use? Through my whole military career, I've seen a whole bunch of different calibers, a whole bunch of different pistols, and I've seen what works and what doesn't work from target practice to actual combat operations. The Beretta. You know, when I was uh, in the infantry, I had a M9 Beretta at one point. Beretta is a is an Italian manufactured pistol that's used mainly by the Italian police. And it is a double action, single action pistol, which means that it has the double action where you pull the trigger back, the hammer drops back and then pushes forward on the cycle of operation. And then you have the single action option where you could pull the hammer manually to the rear and then pull the trigger and it strikes the back of the firing pin in one action. Or after that first double action shot, it automatically locks the hammer to the rear so you have single action shots subsequently after the first shot. What does that mean? In layman's terms, it means that it's a whole bunch of shit that you shouldn't have to worry about when you're trying to defend your life. The M9 Beretta pistol is, from my experience, is known for having faulty locking blocks. Now, that was a five years ago problem. It might not be a problem now with the new manufactured Berettas, but the Berettas that I used in the military, especially as an 18 Bravo, as a Special Forces weapon sergeant, I frequently saw those things fail. And obviously, when dealing with any kind of weapon system, Man, you don't want anything that fails at all. If it fails once, it's a problem, especially in a firearm. So when I advanced in my military career in special operations, I got into units that had Glocks. You know, I got into the Glock 19, the Glock 22, the Glock 34, the Glock 35. All the, all these Glock, take that back, not the Glock 34, the Glock 35, which is the long-barreled Glock 22. It's just basically a Glock 22 with a longer barrel chambered in 40 cal. So what is a Glock? A Glock is a single action pistol that really has one function. You know, you pull the trigger, it goes bang. And it does that really well. A lot of magazines back in the day, like Guns and Ammo, when I read it as a kid, they were dragging that through the mud, freezing it, doing all this stuff to it. And it worked. And it still does. I mean, you could, you could beat the hell out of those guns and they still function so when i when i carry i do carry a glock i i have a myriad of glocks uh, i have the glock 43 which is the small compact glock chambered in nine mil i have about three glock 17s which are nine millimeter glock pistols that are kind of full frame you know they don't call them large frame because that's reserved for the uh, 21 but it's a pretty large frame, full frame pistol that feels good in my hand. I have a Glock 19. A Glock 19 is just a little bit smaller. It's good for women to carry. It's good for men who have baby hands. Um, The Glocks come in varied sizes and varied calibers. Predominantly for defense carry and everyday carry, I carry 9mm, I carry 40 And I do have a Glock 21 SF, which is a small frame Glock chambered in 45. My daily carry is that Glock 43, man. I love that Glock 43. I I typically carry it in a a Wicked holster, which is Wicked holsters. You can find them on social media. Good Kydex, good plastic. And 
I also carry the uh, T-Rex holsters, which are the, the, I use the Raptor, which is the single holster, not with the magazine. Typically when I'm carrying, I'm carrying that pistol in what's called the appendix carry configuration. Where did this appendix carry come from? It's funny because when I started contracting, everybody, this is years ago, but everybody was carrying guns in concealed status and pancake type holsters on their waist, typically on the outside of their waist. Look, if you're trying to conceal a firearm, right, if you're trying to keep it out of sight and sound and you don't want people to see it, you don't want to give people the signature that you're using it, you don't want to print, you don't want to have the outline of the gun on your shirt, no matter what shirt you're wearing. So as we started to evolve, I guess you could say, in the government, in the military, doing what we call low-vis or reduced signature operations, the gun started to move in forward. It started moving in between our legs. Why? Because, I mean, the only thing between your legs is your crotch, and it doesn't flex. That sounds horrible that I just said that. Typically, it doesn't flex. It just sound, It just sits static. So what does that mean? What does it mean? Is It means that if you're in a vehicle and you're running a pistol concealed, you could have it in appendix carry, which is in line with your belly button in your waistband, and it's not uncomfortable. Because if you're carrying the gun and it's not on an external holster on the outside of your belt like a police officer wears, then it's super uncomfortable, right? I know you guys have carried pistols on the side and even on the back. You know, you're, you're, you're pinned up on your seat or it's on your side and it's pinned up on your leg and then you got to push it back behind your side and then let's talk let's let's talk about like trying to get to that pistol it's very difficult to get to that pistol in those kind of configurations because of the way ergonomically your body's laid out if i'm seated and it's bent up behind my leg i have to clear my shirt dig down behind my waistline and draw that pistol well if it's sitting appendix you know and you're sensing a threat you got something going on, you could actually lift your shirt up a little bit and just give a little bit more of that back strap on that pistol a little bit more exposure so you can get to it faster. And it's a clean pull. I'm pulling it straight from my crotch, finger off the trigger, and getting on target, finger on the trigger. So I do carry appendix carry, and it's something that's become very popular and for a reason, for a justified reason. Uh, guys whose expertise it is to protect or to do low-vis, reduced signature operations, they appendix carry, and that's a good place to put it. So, you know, in the summertime, I, I like to go with a Glock 43 because if I'm in shorts, if I'm in something lighter weight, like a lighter material, I might not have a beefy belt on. I might not have the beefy waistline of pants that's going to allow me to hold that gun in place if it's a heavier firearm, like a Glock 17, like a full-frame gun. So I prefer to do something that's a little bit smaller. You know, those I think those Glock 43s are like seven in the mag and one in the hole. You can get like Terran Tactical base plates to, to extend it out a little bit. Really good firearms, really, really accurate for close ranges and proximity, and they're completely and utterly reliable. So if I'm doing something and it's a little bit more robust, let's say I'm doing operations overseas, I'm carrying, if I have the ability... To carry, I'm carrying a Glock 17. 
You know, Glock 17 is chambered in 9mm. It's, again, a full-frame pistol. And you're looking at 17 rounds in the magazine. Plus, if you're running a base plate with an additional plus 2, plus 3, plus 1 in the chamber, you got 20-plus rounds in that gun. And, you know, a lot of old-school dudes, I don't want to mention any names, but Larry Vickers, it, they 1911s, they love those things, right? I mean, that's what they grew up with. They're comfortable with them. There's nothing wrong with that. To each their own. But for me, you know, I look at some of the old school train of thought is, hey, if you get a, a 45 uh, and you have that heavy of a caliber, that's all you need because one round puts one man down. Well, for me, I, I look at one 9 mil round potentially putting one man down with a wool play shot with a well-built round, not, you're not just full metal jacket. We're talking like some Teflon, some serrated bullets, defensive-type bullets. You're going to do some damage, and you're going to stop a threat, and now you got 20 opportunities to do that. So definitely Glock 17 is my weapon of choice for carrying. Let's talk about what I what I put on these guns. The Glock is a great gun, but out the box, it's not the best gun out of the box. In fact, they're pretty crappy out of the box. I have to admit, they're pretty crappy out of the box. So what do you do to a Glock when you first pull out of the box? Well, if you, if you got a Glock, the first thing you want to look at is that shitty trigger. That trigger sucks. The trigger, you know, some of them 5.5, 4, 4, some change. They're heavy triggers, and they're grimy. They're like real, because it's plastic, right? It's plastic with the metal running up into the, into the slide, into the frame. It binds. It, there's, there's friction points. So it's not the best trigger. I, I recommend... Typically, I use saline arms, drop-in trigger, the the fulcrum kit, or I use agency arms trigger. I like the simplicity of agency arms trigger. In fact, that's what I'm running on most of my guns now. Also, you need to look at sights. Sights is a huge consideration for everyday carry. A lot of people have Glocks, and they have those, those crappy stock sights. Those sights, number one, the sights are plastic, and... They easily are, from using that gun in and out of the holster, I've seen them actually break off. I've seen them get rubbed down to where they, they're not even accurate for, for marksman-type shooting. And then there's no glow-in-the-dark anything in them, you know, so it's difficult to use them in low light. So what do I recommend? So I use Dave Savigny's old sights he, when he used to work with Warren Tactical sights. He he. I, I communicate with Dave sometimes, and maybe Dave's a former Glock professional shooter. I think he works for FN now. But Dave's Warren Tactical sights have a fiber optic. They call it fiber optic. It's just a plastic rod that draws lights in the front of the front sight. That rod collects all that light, and when you draw that pistol and you drive it towards the target, your eye picks up that front sight quick, and that's what you want. Shooting is a visual game. Shooting involves your eyes, your hands, and, and it's totally a visual game. So you want something that your eye can pick up fast. Having black sights, professional shooters, some professional shooters just use that. I like to have a red dot or the, the green dot, the green rod. Uh, it works best with my eyes for my eyes to pick up. For the back sight, uh, you know, the Warren Tactical sights, I like to use a complete black sight, completely blacked out. That way, that way I can differentiate the, the front sight from the rear sight. 
And another thing about those sights is they're metal. You know, they're metal. They could be fine-tuned and adjusted. It's funny. I, I remember, I can't remember. I think I was on a on a range doing training, like advanced training for pistol. And we were shooting Glock 19s. And I told the guy, I said, hey, my shot group is off to the left. And maybe you could, if you have a sight tool, maybe I can make an adjustment and get my group shifted over. And so I'm right-handed and left-eye dominant, which, you know, it's it's a minor, minor issue. But I drive the pistol over my left eye. And sometimes my eyes don't see things like right-eye dominant right-handed shooters see. And sometimes I have to make adjustments to the rear sight post left or right to make that adjustment to get my group right in there. He looks at me and he's like, he, you're joking, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not joking, man. I, I actually just wondering if you got a sight tool. I'm not, not trying to be a dick, just wondering if you have a sight tool. And this dude's like, you don't zero pistols, man. They come off the box zeroed. And he was serious, dead serious. So, you know, you might ex- have experienced this. Don't just look at your shot groups. I'll digress for a second. Don't just look at shot groups and think, my my group is all jacked up. I'm doing something wrong. I'm flinching. I'm healing. All these terms for marksmanship. Don't take that with a grain of salt. Look at the gun. If you need to adjust those rear sights, you can. With metal rear sights, you can easily. You get a little punch. You, you, knock, you knock it a couple millimeters to left or right, and then you adjust it. So... Good sights, good trigger right off the bat. Uh, another thing I like is I use Gen 3 Glocks. Nothing against Gen 4, but that recoil rod and spring that's kind of proprietary to that pistol. I like the fact that they're Gen Glocks. I could swap them out in and out, and there's no issues. So the Gen 3 Glocks I use also have little notches cut for your hand so you can get good, a good grip. The grip isn't that great. Fours, Gen fours are a little bit better, I think, because they got that little the the sharp stippled stuff on the on the frame. But I like stipple grips. This it's been like a dude. It's this is I mean this trend. If I mean stippling stuff is like out of control. Like people stipple everything. You know, I, I I've seen a stippled Jeep recently. So you can get a soldering iron and stipple it yourself. It's plastic, so it's pretty easy to do. Or you could pay somebody a couple hundred bucks to get it done. And there's a lot of guys out there who are doing it really well and making it look really sexy. But it helps. It helps. Especially, think about it. You're you're with your wife and kids. You're pumping gas. Some butthole comes over you, presents a threat, and now you're fighting for your life. You think you're going to have sweaty palms. You think that you're going to have an adverse physiological reaction. You're damn skippy. You are. It's you're gonna. It's going to be. It's going to be different than you're accustomed to. And there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to happen physically. And having to worry about grip is one thing you don't want to have to worry about. And then forget about, you know, we're not even considering acclimate weather. Bad guy, bad guys just don't present themselves in good optimal weather. No humidity. Understand that you're going to have to pull that gun and fight for your life. You want it to work for you. All these things, sights, trigger. I mean, this is like a couple hundred bucks. A well uh, worthwhile investment when you're looking at your everyday carry. All right, so when we're looking at everyday carry as well, there's considerations for ammo, right? Do I need to carry a separate magazine? Do I need to carry a mag on my belt, on my waistline? One thing I didn't mention to you is I like carrying, I like using a nylon belt all the time. 
I use a Patagonia suit. Next year, I'm doing a Philcraft belt because there's some things about this belt that I just don't like, but it's it's worked for me. It's a Patagonia nylon belt. The real simple. I think it's like 1.5 inches in width, and it locks in all my holsters, which keep the holster on my waistline when I'm drawing the gun. Also, when you're looking at that, right, you want to have somewhere to put your magazine, your ex- your spare magazine holder. Whether you're in a little pouch, a little piece of Kydex, however you're holding and retaining that magazine, you want to be able to retain it on that belt. I, again, like appendix carry. If I'm going to carry an extra mag, it's going to be next to the gun in the same spot the gun's at. T-Rex Arms has that Raptor that, forgive me, Look on T-Rex's website. It's the one with the, it's the Raptor, but it's the one with the the gun and the extra spare mag. I like that one because it's it's all encompassed. It's right there. It's right where I need it. If you're going to carry a small go bag, carry your spare mags in your bag. It, it, carry your pistol in person and then carry your, your small bag, carry a, a spare magazine. It would suck if you had to do a slide-like reload out of your bag, right? But it's better having that somewhere on person, maybe even in your car, than not having it at all. So that's an option. Another option is carrying it in your pocket. When I did work overseas all the time and we were like in pretty crappy areas, I had to have extra magazines, but I didn't want to print or show that I had an extra magazine around my belt line. And I sure as hell didn't want somebody touching my belt line to search and fill in a magazine. So I stuffed it in my back pocket. And they typically... Most places wouldn't grab your ass or go near your crotch. So those are good places to, to have your, your setup. Something I like to do on all magazines that I use, all magazines I use have a base plate, have a have a spare base plate. Not spare base plate, but a replaced base plate. I hate the plastic base plates on most magazines. They're not good. You know, you have a follower, which is what the bullet leads into. You have a spring that retains the follower, and then it capture it's captured by the base plate that's removable. Typically, they're removable because those things fail inside sometimes. you got to replace them, but you could clean the magazine. So replace it with something that's that's pretty, a little bit more reliable, like metal or some kind of uh, synthetic. I will say that not harping on equipment. I'm just sh- sharing my experience. I used Terran Tactical base plates for a long time, and then they started to fail on me. The little pin started to recede. So I'm actually on the hunt for a new base plate. So... Base plates give the advantage of extra weight, which means when you extend and push your gun out, it's it's a little bit better balanced. It's not going to make carrying the gun cumbersome. You're not carrying it for long distances. It also adds a couple rounds, and that's that's hugely important. And for me, I think it adds reliability. For anybody who knows anything about uh, extra base plates, please let me know. I look forward to uh, hearing from you because I'm on the hunt. If small companies or whatever, and I can push your stuff and and maybe even test your stuff out, just let me know. So, hey, that's the end. Uh, we're already at the end, man. The first episode. There's going to be lots of questions, and I love it because these kind of short podcasts evoke a lot of questions, and that's what we want. We want to kick these conversations up. I want to be able to answer them on the podcast, on social media, on Facebook, in the comments section on all these things, and talk about the stuff. When I was in Special Forces and I was a team sergeant, uh, also something I wholeheartedly believed amongst teammates Tactics is always an open forum of discussion. Never never deal with anybody who deals in the realm of tactics who's closed-minded. You have to always be willing to learn, adapt, shape. Hey, I appreciate you guys 
If you guys got any questions following the podcast on anything, feel free to hit me up at media at philcraftsurvival.com. Again, that's media at philcraftsurvival.com. You can always check us out at www.philcraftsurvival.com and on our Instagram at soft survivor, SOF survivor, and at philcraftsurvival. Hey, guys, appreciate it once again. It's a pleasure and it's an honor kicking this thing off. Look forward to the next episode. Until next time, stay alert, stay alive.